This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. And today we're coming to you in two parts because first up, we're down at Liverpool One at the Sky TV retail shop and joined by the Premier League trophy. Alongside me, I also have our Liverpool correspondent and chief Liverpool writer, Paul Gorst and Ian Doyle. And, uh, Gorsty, great to uh, be up close and personal with the Premier League trophy. It is. Um, it's about a year or so ago since me and Doyle got a close-up look with it when I had red ribbons on. Looked a little bit better that day, I have to say, but yeah, um, resplendent, isn't it, to be fair? So uh, yeah, let's hope it stays in Liverpool uh, next, well, May, May, May is it? End of the season. Yeah, I'll speak to the guys who set it up, Doyle, and they were saying during the last year they only got a chance to bring it out once, so it's here in Liverpool for the next two days. And uh, as Gorsty said, it would probably be better with the red ribbons on. Well, it did look better. As I said, we were down at Anfield last year where they were parading it. A few of us could manage to go and see it, but I'm fully expecting it to have the red and white on it by this time next May. Yeah, coming up, we're going to sort of talk about the Burnley game and Liverpool fans being back at Anfield. But given we're with the trophy, we, we best talk about the title race. And Gorsty, the Reds got off to the best possible start of the weekend. They did, yeah, and not only their own 3-0 win, but I think the result on the Sunday was massive, wasn't it? Manchester City losing to Tottenham. It's just got a little bit of a feeling that it's going to be like the 18-19 season where every point dropped is going to be huge and you're going to be looking to not only Manchester City's results, but you're going to be looking at Man United's and Chelsea's and any kind of stumble from any of them is going to be massive, I think, in the title race. I don't think it's going to be one where Liverpool win it by 18 points or Manchester City win it by 13, I think, as they did last year. So, um, yeah, every point's vital. The pool kicked it off well, didn't they, on Saturday evening at Norwich. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think the pool kind of going under the radar a little bit because of the lack of transfers. They've only brought in Ibrahim Akanate. And I think the fact that he was confirmed in May, before last season had even finished, in fact, uh, it's gone a little bit under the radar, you know, in the kind of wider scope. Obviously, we know about it very well, but generally, I think there's a, an assumption that Liverpool haven't done too much in the market and they're going to be struggling. But uh, I think that'll probably shoot Jurgen Klopp and, and the squad as a whole. Yeah, I suppose, Doyle, after, I suppose, what, the last three years, it's been a two-horse race. Now we're looking at it probably three with Chelsea. Maybe four, don't really want to mention Manchester United, but they will hope to be there. Oh, it's definitely four. United have to be up there saying, I agree with Ghosty, I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be probably all the way to the wide, but we know there's always one team that kind of, or maybe one or two that towards the end, they kind of run away with it a little bit. I'd be surprised if all four of them are there to, by the end of the season, but and we can't discount, you know, Chelsea are the Champions League winners, City are the, the title winners, United have spent, what is it, 120, 130 million pounds. And then we've got Liverpool, who was only like 18 months ago, they were champions of the world. So I do think it's going to be pretty exciting. It is. I, I do find it bemusing, Gorsi, that recency bias about Liverpool. Van Dijk's back now. The defence sort of seems solid and, and back, sort of the foundations being led there. But nobody, absolute, probably other than us, are talking about Liverpool. Well, that's it. There was a 20 BBC pundits last week where none of them tipped Liverpool to win the title. And I think it was Jermaine Beckford tipped them to finish out half the top four, which is incredible, really. Um, and you think now it's, it's very much a closed shot for me, the top four. It's not the big six anymore, it's, it's back to being the, the top four, if you like. And I like Leicester and Tottenham probably have a few things to say about that, but I think now it is very much you know the four powerhouses and it's just going to be a case of where they land. And, and Dolly's got a point, we might see one or two fall away as the season wears on, but I don't think we're going to see one team steamroller as we have done the last couple of seasons. So plenty to be excited for as a neutral. Um, obviously, we'll have our hand in, in the Liverpool till, won't we? So we'll be um, keeping an eye on that. and. I do certainly think that they've been a little bit overlooked, strangely. I think there's kind of been this outside perception that 
oh, well, uh, you know, they, they haven't brought anyone in. And, and it was only Van Dijk who was injured last season. It wasn't, was it? It was Van Dijk, it was Matip, it was Gomez, it was Thiago, Jota, Henderson. They all missed minimum two, three months. Um, so if Liverpool can avoid that kind of crippling injury list again this season, then no reason for me why we want to have red ribbons on these in May. Yeah, hopefully, cer- certainly sort of hope that that will be the case. What was it, eight years ago, 13-14 Doyle, we know how it finished, but that season was... Why, why would you ma- bring that up? No, because that season it was mad in terms of how many changes there were with who was leading it. I feel this season could be quite similar. Yeah, it was pretty crazy because I think Arsenal were up there as well yeah, that season. That so, I mean, imagine, imagine yeah. that now, that would yeah. never happen. Yeah, I do think it's going to be one where I think the, the league winners, they're going to... I think possibly four or five defeats, which is why, as Gorsley said, City losing the first game. Although, admittedly, they had, by some distance, the most difficult opening game of the four teams. I think they can't afford to lose like more than four now because they're probably not going to win it. But you know with City that they can just go on and win 20 games in a row. And that's the kind of standard that Liverpool are going to have to adhere to. And the thing is, they have done for the previous two years before last season. And as Gorsley said, I must admit, I know we've got limited time. I thought he was going to go through every single injured, injured player from last <laughs> season. Um, but they're going to be, hopefully, most of them are going to be OK this season with Canati. And I think Liverpool are going to surprise people, although given that the trophies that they've won in recent years, it seems amazing that we're talking about a team like Liverpool that are going under the radar. Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose kind of trying to set point markers is, is quite difficult because the last few seasons it's been over 90 or just under last year for Manchester City. Quite frankly, four teams aren't going to be able to get 90 points because there won't be enough to share around. Well, that's it, isn't it? I think the, the head-to-heads this season are going to be massive. You know, um, 16 points up for grabs in, in, in those fixtures. Um, so, yeah, I th- you know, they're going to have a bit more of an impact than they have in previous years when we've seen Manchester United pretty much seem to draw every single one of those, particularly away, didn't they? Um, Liverpool have had a really good record in those in, in recent years. Um, obviously through Man City last season, beating 4-1 at Anfield, but you know, mitigating circumstances with, with no crowd. And, and I think I think that's going to be a big thing as well, the fans being back in, back inside Anfield tomorrow for 54,000. I think when there was no supporters in the ground, it was easier for City to control things and there was no kind of intangible element of the fans throwing certain players off the game and so on. And, and Pep Guardiola admitted as much in that 4-1 win in February, was it? Um, he said Anfield, you know, without fans, it isn't Anfield and that was why they were able to Kind of regain the composure at 1 1 when Mohamed Salah equalises and 25 minutes to go. Normally, if Anfield's full, you know, that is absolutely bouncing, isn't it? Liverpool go on and push for a, for a you know, a winner. So, um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be very different to what we've seen last season. Obviously, Man City are going to be up there again. We hope that Liverpool are going to be up there, and um, yeah, it's going to be another fascinating season. The first of those head to heads will be next weekend. We'll talk about Burnley in a bit, but Chelsea against Liverpool will be a early one to sort of whet the appetite as to who are going to maybe be the title favourites. Yeah, Tuchel against Klopp, that'll be interesting. I mean, it should have really been the uh, the Champions League semi-final last season, but Liverpool lost to a not great Real Madrid. But I do wonder with Chelsea, do they have the uh, do they have the consistency to be able to you know mount a, a championship challenge? I'm not entirely sure. I think they're the one of the four, funnily enough, that maybe will be will fall away maybe a bit too early for them. But if Liverpool can get a win against Chelsea, it puts down a very early marker because then they've got some quite presentable games after that. And if you know they've, they've won at Norwich, I know it's a difficult place to go. To we saw what happened with the other two promoted teams got wins on the opening uh, weekend of the season. It's never easy when you come up against these teams. But you know, Burnley's going to be tough as well. Yeah, definitely. Right, that's it from us here at the Sky TV shop at Liverpool 1. The Premier League trophy here for the next two days, the Friday and Saturday. So maybe before heading to Anfield on Saturday for the 12.30 game with Burnley, maybe pop down here and come and have a look at the trophy. Hopefully in May, though, it'll have the red ribbons on. We'll be back with more later on.
The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, we're back and we're at Shavas Park now. We got booted out of the Sky TV shop, but we uh, outstayed our welcome there. But we are going to keep talking about the Reds and Burnley. I make it, Doily, 532 days when the game plays since Liverpool last had a full stadium at Anfield for a Premier League game. That was against Bournemouth. Burnley to come at the weekend. What are you expecting? That's good maths, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'll make a note of that when I write my stuff <laughs> later on. Um, I'm expecting it to be kind of a party atmosphere. I mean, me and Ghost were at Norwich um, last Saturday, and it was kind of that there. I know they had the added bonus of being back in the Premier League, but their fans had missed out on the entire, almost all of them missed out on the entirety of the Championship season when they came back up last year. So for them, it was a party. I think they just loved it, and it was good, certainly for us, to actually be amongst, even though it wasn't with Liverpool fans, it didn't really matter as such. We had fans around us. They were singing the songs. It was just an atmosphere, and you could tell there was excitement. And I'm expecting the same again at Anfield. But you've got to remember, we did do the two friendlies recently, and there was 40,000 plus there. And certainly with the second game against Osasuna, I thought the atmosphere was better, partly because it was a night game and the floodlights and all of that. But also it's because you could tell that a lot of those people are the ones who wouldn't normally go to the match, who wouldn't normally have the opportunity, because obviously I think they, they, I'm pretty right in saying that Liverpool said you can't buy tickets for both games, it's one or the other, which meant that obviously more fans got to, what's 80,000 got to go in the end. So they were singing the songs then. You're going to have an extra 10,000 on top of that against Burnley. I think the fans have waited an awful long time for this. When we'll get onto the game in a bit, I think it'll be quite difficult. And I think this could be one of those games where the fans being there can make a difference and can help the team. Yeah, I think it's only right, though, that we spend some time talking about the, the fans, Gorsty. And I suppose we've seen, even since even the FA Cup final and the atmosphere that the Leicester fans generated at, at Wembley, that supporters up and down the country, none more so at Anfield tomorrow, are making up for lost time. Yeah, definitely. I think um, normally a 12.30 kick-off would be a little bit of a subdued atmosphere, a bit quite calm and quiet, and something that away fans wouldn't necessarily think chimes with the reputation of Anfield. But I think tomorrow, you know, if you can kick off at 6 o'clock in the morning, Anfield's going to be bouncing tomorrow tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon. Um, there is a bit of an issue with over the ticketing system, isn't it? Liverpool kind of um, invited us down to Anfield earlier this week to get across some key messages of what they hope to happen tomorrow. Um, Fans have been given staggered entry times, depending on what block they're in, and um, some of them are going to have to show up at 10 o'clock in the morning, or 10.30 in the morning, um, which is a little bit of a departure from what they might have envisioned when they were finally getting called back to Anfield. But Liverpool just asking fans to work with them for just for a few weeks while the kinks are ironed out. But I think once the, the, the whistle goes and the game kicks off, I think it'll be absolutely flying. And um, There's something about Burnley at Anfield. I think they were the only team to take points off them in 1920 at Anfield. They obviously beat them last year and ended that 68th, um, 9 game run. Um, they were the first ones to kind of put them in that spiral where they lost six in a row. So maybe there's a little bit of a feeling of Liverpool own Burnley one tomorrow um, with the fans back in, first time in 18 months, as you say. Um, 536, 32. 32, yeah, it's a long time, isn't it, since that Burnley game. So, yeah, like Woody says, I'm expecting an incredible atmosphere tomorrow. Yeah, it was Burnley who, meant, who ended the, the million-year wait for a side to, to come mm. to Anfield in the league and, and win a game. And it does kind of feel right, really, that they are the first visitors to Anfield for this season and a chance immediately to sort of, I suppose, prove what we were saying all through last season, that those results wouldn't have happened had fans been inside. Well, you might argue that Liverpool haven't lost a, a home game in front, a Premier League game in front of fans since, what was it, April 2017, Crystal yeah, Palace? Yeah, yeah. yeah, how many days is that guy? I've not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is funny how these things, these quirks happen, isn't it? It's, it is Burnley. Um, I mean, I'm just going to be interested to see what the reaction is 
with fans, just not just at, at, uh, at Liverpool, but just general, because they're happy to to be back. How long is it going to be before they start being critical of certain things? I, mean, I know we saw a little bit of it already at some other Premier League grounds, but can't see Liverpool being like that. And I know there was an issue at Norwich at the uh, at the weekend with one chance, and it was very good of Jurgen Klopp and uh, Paul Allen of uh, Cop Outs. They um, did an interview, didn't they? The club put it out. Uh, I think what day is it? It was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. And that was a strong message that they that they were quite rightly put out because that kind of you know chanting shouldn't be shouldn't be heard anymore. And I think there's in Liverpool, as, as Jurgen Klopp said, they've got a massive songbook and they've got enough other songs that they can sing about. Just concentrate on their team, and I think that's something that certainly at Anfield that we'll see on Saturday. Yeah, most definitely. Right, let's talk about some of the players then, and with the fans being back, not just. Ibrahima Kanate has arrived in the summer, but the likes of Thiago and Diogo Jota, first chance for them in front of a, a packed house to sort of show what they can get up to. Yeah, well, if you think uh, think of Thiago, he's played at Anfield once before, hasn't he? In the Champions League game, the nil-nil game, and um, he's had to wait a long time to finally strut his stuff in front of his fans and the teammates who we thought he was signing with. Uh, because let's face it, he didn't really get much of a chance to do that last year, did he? I think he'll be chomping at the bit tomorrow, um, as will Jota if he's if he's in the starting lineup. Um, I think that that's probably the key decision for Klopp whether he goes with Firmino or Jota. Both seem to be hungry and and you know up for it at the moment. So I think that that's a welcome headache for him. But yeah, certainly those two players um, are going to be absolutely desperate, aren't they, to to be involved and experience the the famous Anfield atmosphere that they know know that would have played some part in the decision to make the move in September last year. And you forget that because I, I'd forgotten that about Thiago certainly and, and Jota is the you're right and as Gorsi said they came to play alongside Van Dijk and I think Thiago's had was it about 11 minutes wasn't it against yeah, Everton that was about it yeah, yeah that was it basically that's it so it will be interesting to see what happens with that yeah it will be interesting Thiago's kind of referenced his song as well hasn't he and how it kind of gets him in the mood and yeah. he does enjoy it but I suppose someone like Thiago Jota and the, the amount of goals the volume he scored so quickly would have been absolutely sort of praised and praised sort of to above and beyond by the cop for his start at, at Liverpool and it will be chance maybe for the fans to get the songbook out as we were referencing before yeah well that's that's going to be one of the key features of tomorrow isn't it you know you never walk alone tomorrow 54,000 it's going to be a bit of a special moment um, I know obviously it's a big day for fans but people inside the club as well they haven't had any of this for 18 months um, I'm speaking to um, the head of Ticketon this week and, and he was saying for the Wolves game last year in December you know he, he was close to tears just here in 2000 singing Never Walk Alone and that had only been about six or seven months since they'd been able to have a full house so um, I think tomorrow is going to be a, a big day for, for so many associated with the club um, you know the the people who work there the, the players the coaching staff and, and of course the fans so um yeah, it's going, to, it's going to be a big day, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, one or two songs that we haven't heard for for a while. Um, obviously, not the Chelsea song that um, we've we've covered this week, and um, I think it'll be Never Walk Alone and Thiago Van Dijk, and you know all the all the big hits. Sure. Each one of those players is, is going to get serenaded at some point. Let's talk about Burnley then. We mentioned before that they came to Anfield last year and won two points during the the title winning season as well. Even, I think, was it the year before the 4-2 win? They came and they always do what Burnley do. Yeah. And Liverpool will sort of have to stick to their guns. Well, the year before that, I'm sure they drew one all as well. So, or maybe Liverpool. Basically, I know Burnley have only lost one of the last four visits and they've scored in the last five. So they do always offer a threat. We know they're going to play. That's why having someone like Van Dijk back is so important because he, you know, he... Although, to be fair, when Liverpool won at Burnley in May, 
which yeah. seems like forever ago, even though it isn't. Uh, Nat Phillips had a very good game, yeah. and obviously somebody who's probably there's every chance he might never ever play for Liverpool again if he if he ends up going before the the transfer window uh, closes next week. So. But with Van Dijk, you'd imagine Liverpool have a bit of security at the back, certainly with his head in. But Burnley or Burnley, they'll make it difficult. It's interesting, Sean Dyche mentioned in his press conference yesterday, he says, look, we can't just go there and defend. If you want to play these kind of leading teams away from home, you have to attack. You can't just sit back all the time. And I think that's something that Burnley have, have always done, apart from where they play Man City away, where they seem to lose about 10-0 every single time. Yeah, they do seem to. <laughs> they, they love an in-swing corner as well. I mentioned that sort of 4-2 win for, for Liverpool a couple of seasons ago, and yeah. Alisson was absolutely crashed into yeah, yeah. that day. That is part of what they do. Yeah, well, I think they took the lead that day, didn't they? And, and it was a time when Liverpool were really pressing for the league alongside Man City, and every point was vital. So um, Burnley took the lead, a little bit of, little bit of a surprise, but they always cause problems. Um, I think Liverpool have got a really good record at Turf Moor. It's always kind of put across as this kind of graveyard for aspirations. But Liverpool have got a good record there. But Burnley and Anfield know kind of what to do and how to navigate the way through and get a positive result. So it's not going to be um, not a foregone conclusion by any means tomorrow. But I just think just the kind of events, just, just everything coming together, I think it'll be a bit of a perfect storm for Liverpool to, to fly out the traps. And I think that'll carry them through as well for the next, certainly until... You know, after the international break, and um, obviously that Chelsea game is going to be massive, isn't it? So fans are going to be needed to play the part again. And um, yeah, I just can't wait for it now. To be honest, it's uh, it's one of those events that I was looking forward to the Crystal Palace game for so long, just because we went through the entire season, me and Dolly, without anyone in there. Um, and it kind of it doesn't matter if they're going for the top four or not. I'm just looking forward to that game just to get fans back in. And, and now we're a few months down the line, and it's and it's a full house. I just think it's going to be a, a, an incredible day. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Before we get on to the team selection, I do want to talk about transfers. Don't want your guys' shoulders to slump. The, the one I want to kind of talk about and reference, it's not Liverpool-centric. We know everyone wants to see a midfielder, everyone wants to see a forward arrive. But this week, Roberto, uh, Roberto, Robert Lewandowski, <laughs> Klopp's former man at uh, Borussia Dortmund, sort of expressing his desire to maybe move on from Bayern Munich. And it feels as though Liverpool could, should, if they want to be the best, act like the best and being in and around the conversation, Gorsty? Um His birthday tomorrow is 33 tomorrow, is he? Um, by me, I'm talking about 100 million, so those two, you know, facts or whatever you want to call them, probably make it a non-starter. For me, alongside Suarez, I think, outside the Messi and Ronaldo, he's been the best player of the last 10 years. Um, incredible forward. He scored 25 in his first season at Bayern Munich, and then he hasn't scored under 40 since, um, which is remarkable. I think he scored 55 last season in all competitions. Unbelievable. Um, he does want a fresh challenge, um, according to several reports. Um, and I'd love to see him at Anfield. He's you know, one of the best number nines, if not the best in the world. So my team wouldn't want him, but um, I think he's probably more um, vital to Bayern Munich than what he can offer to anyone else in the long term. So I, you know, it depends how much he wants to force it. I don't think he'll, he'll rock the boat too much. And I think you might just see him uh, remaining at Bayern. Public area, if you can hear the leaf blow, apologies about that. It is what it is. But Doyle mentioned he's worked with Klopp before. He's also worked with Guardiola. And if they can't get a Harry Kane deal done, mm. they may well look at Lewandowski, who I suppose even more than Harry Kane would sort of send shivers down the, the back of the net. Well, if Bayern are asking for 110 million, I think it's 110 million euros, is it? Or something like that. I don't think anyone's going to buy him. Mm. I mean, it's his age is against him. I think it was, if he was free, like someone like Messi was, I think everybody would be after him. Because he'd be on a fur whack, but I don't think he'd 
be on massive, 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 like ridiculous wages. Because I don't think he's that kind of that kind of person. But he'd improve Liverpool. But you know, that Bayern Munich, as Gorsi said, they're not not want to let him go. They'll want to keep hold of him. I can also just say that we should do more podcasts outside because it's very nice here. Yeah, very very lovely. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I should have brought the sunscreen with me to be fair. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is one of those. I suppose it is fantasy, but where Liverpool are at the moment Gorst it is just about plugging away seeing if they can move the likes of Shakiri and Origi on and then what business is there to be done yeah well we know Shakiri is a man in demand isn't he Leon Villarreal Sevilla Lazio Napoli um, so he's got them queuing up for him it's just a case of um, Liverpool trying to get as much as they can for him we talked maybe three weeks ago they were looking at between 12 and 15 Leon's offer was you know, nowhere near that was it. It was around about six, seven million euros. Um, so plenty of work to be done on either side to kind of bridge the gap there. I still think Shakiri will go. I'm not too sure about Origi now. It doesn't seem to be a lot of interest. Maybe it's, it could be a deadline day move potentially. You know, they come from nowhere, don't they? Sometimes, you know, Southampton, for instance, were ringing up about Nico Williams at the end of January and ended up getting to Kumi Minamino. So these things, you know, it's it's difficult to predict. Um, but as it sounds like, I. I doesn't look as though Rigi's going to be leaving. Still think Liverpool need someone. They need need a midfielder. They need a, a frontman. Um, if they were only to get one of them, I'd rather they got you know another attacker, another option because at the moment they've only got four to go into three. So that's going to be difficult balancing act for all of them to to contribute throughout the season. So um, let's hope uh, an attacker arrives before August 31st. Yeah, referenced on Monday's podcast story that sort of the FIFA ruling and regarding sort of players going to red list countries and coming back and mm. having to quarantine, even the Africa Cup of Nations, or even if an injury were to kind of happen to, to one of the, the front three or front four, feels as though Liverpool are a bit like they did last season defensively, maybe willing to take a bit of a gamble and risk and leave themselves a little bit short? I don't think it's in terms of that, taking a gamble. I think Klopp's been quite keen to point out that he's got a massive squad. I mean, we saw that with the, the two friendlies. They were able to, like, put... Rigi was on the bench for the second game and he didn't feature in the first one. So that kind of tells you where he is in terms of the, the standing. But I must admit that I don't... I think Rigi might go. I think this might be the time where he does go. I think somebody might come in and I think Liverpool will be, even if it's alone, I think they'd be quite keen to possibly move him on. But whether that gives them any funds or gives them the leeway to bring in another another attack, I think they'd have to get rid of Shaqiri as well. And I also think that one will happen. I can't see either of those two really realistically wanting to, to stick around. And I think Liverpool probably do have... They'll have a list, won't they, of the, of the forwards that they want. We've already mentioned some of them, but... It, then it's it's a matter of you're getting very very close to the deadline. It's ten days tomorrow. And the other and the other team will obviously go. Well, hang on. If we're selling somebody, we need to replace yeah. them. And there's that whole kind of chain reaction, you know, domino effect. So I think it it will be difficult. But if Liverpool did go into the season with the squad that they've got now, with nobody having you know nobody having left and Shakiri and Origi still there, I wouldn't be too concerned. I think there's enough there. I think they've it's shown that. It's not a Man that. City issue, is it? They they fundamentally need a forward. Liverpool yeah, have yeah. a squad. I mean, they haven't got. Yeah. Any forward, well, they've got Jesus, haven't they? And yeah. then they rotate lo- loads of players up in the, that kind of false number nine, number yeah. nine role. So I, th- I think with City, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if they don't get Kane, they'll get somebody. And then I don't think it'll be Lewandowski because they won't pay that money. If you look, who are they going to get in? And could they make a cheeky bid at Everton for uh, Calvert Lewin oh. or something like that? I don't know. That's one that I, I'm surprised that nobody's actually come in for him, to be honest. Yeah, so it'll be an interesting there, one. Really, yeah. No, no, no. no. Yeah. I genuinely, genuinely no. think that. Genuinely think that. We'll could be, be, could be something. He scores the goals. So, but I do actually think Kane will end up at Man City. So it's a completely irrelevant point that I've just made. <laughs> <laughs> just going back to Riga there, you mentioned about him going on low. And I, I think 
if he does go on loan, Liverpool have got to get someone in. There's absolutely no point putting him on loan yeah. and not bringing someone in. We've seen before the Klopp is always happy to, you know, kind of let the player get get his wishes, and sometimes that's at a detriment to the squad. Nathaniel Klein left alone. Liverpool didn't have another right back. Um, pretty sure they've they've left themselves short in other areas before, just to kind of make sure that the player remains happy but on this one if, if they're not getting anyone in and someone comes in for a Rigi particularly on loan then I think they've got to say no you know we're keeping the squad as it is you might not play that much but um, you just can't afford to kind of weaken what's already a little bit threadbare in, in terms of quality in that front three or front what have they got seven options for four positions or three positions um, and I think beyond those four that I mentioned the front three and Jota it's a little bit of a, of a drop off, yeah. All right, that's it for transfers then. Let's get on to the team selector, the real business. And uh, I suppose goalkeeper I can pick, Alison Becker for that one. Doyley, what about the, the back four? Looking at the same as what Liverpool fielded against Norwich? I think it has to be, doesn't it? I think we've seen Joe Gomez missed a bit of training this week, although he's back, um, but I think he's got a fair bit to go, I think, before he starts starting games. Uh, Canati, he's... You know, again, he's somebody just new into the team, and I think they're going to try and ease him in possibly after the international break. Uh, and Virgil Van Dijk is shown against Norwich that you know what was he at seventy-five percent? You reckon something like that? Um, and Joel Matip is the number one centre back at the moment, um, purely because he's probably the fittest one out of the whole lot. Although he was injured, and it was easy to forget that, wasn't it? Uh, the game against Norwich he'd been out for so long, and so you've got Matip, Van Dijk, uh, Trent, and Simicas. Yeah, what do you reckon with that course? Are you going along with the, the same thing? And I suppose for Van Dijk, it's about sort of getting up to speed ahead of Chelsea. Yeah, I think so. Um, be difficult to chop and change your centre backs for this one, wouldn't it? I think um, Van Dijk is Van Dijk. You leave him in the team and just get him up to speed. And, and Matt was fantastic. I thought against Norwich actually, he's, um, he's a top quality defender. Okay, the question marks um, always around his availability and his injury history. Um, but you know, as an actual defender when he's fit and he's on the pitch, he's, he's one of the best in the Premier League. Um, I've said a few times now Liverpool have probably got the best quartet of centre-backs in the division and um, I see no reason to, to change it really. Uh, Gomez and Canati will get game time at certain points, but for tomorrow I'd keep it as it was. You were really impressed with Simicash. Just hope that plug doesn't get pulled for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, be, he needs to be charged up a little bit longer, doesn't he? Yeah, you just, just, just stay plugged in for a little bit longer and he'll be okay. Yeah, no, brilliant stuff. Right, OK, Gorsley, what about the, the midfield three? What are you thinking? Well, uh, it would have been Fabinho, wouldn't it? But obviously, with the, the sad news of his father passing away, um, you'd expect he probably left out on compassionate grounds, you know, similar to Alison Becker at the time. And I think Klopp, you know, he'll be saying, you know, let's not pry too much into that one, so fair enough. Um, but it's a bit of a difficult one now because I thought he was excellent when he came on against Norwich and really kind of showed up that midfield. So I'd imagine Henderson might come back in. Um, be harsh to drop Naby Keita. I thought he was very good as well last week and if, he, if he's left out then what's the incentive for him because he's, he's had a really good game there a chance to build and stay in the team and if he doesn't get it that's, that's a bit harsh so I'd leave him in and then uh, probably go with Thiago as, as the third man so Henderson, Keita, Thiago Are you going with that Dorley or is that a bit of a big ask to throw both of those two in at once? Well, if, Thiago be, and if, if Fabinho had been available obviously we would have started him and I would have played possibly Thiago but now the situation I think Henderson has to play I can't, don't think you can play Henderson and Thiago. I think Cater, as Gorsty said, he deserves to stay in the team. And to be honest, I'd probably keep Oxley chamberlain in there. I mean, Mil- Milner maybe, but I would side towards Oxley chamberlain Yeah, Milner missed training as well yesterday, didn't yes. he? So, yeah, yeah in- interesting. Right, OK, what about the uh, the front three then? Uh, well, Salah and Manny, and then it's basically the question is between Jota and Firmino. Yep. And 
I think Firmino starts against Chelsea, so I'm going to start Jota. Well, that's the dilemma, isn't it, for Klopp? It's Jota or Firmino, and it's probably a good one to have for a change because they both seem to have started um, on song. So I'm going to go with Firmino. I think Agri Bidoli will play against Chelsea, but I think um, getting him in the team against um, Burnley tomorrow will be key to uh, just continuing the good form that he's, he's been in. You know, two goals against Hasselsoon and a goal against Norwich. So, yeah, he's, um, looks like he's, he's up and ready and, and firing already. Hopefully Mane gets off the mark. Obviously, we saw what sort of 10,000 fans did from the final game of last season against Crystal Palace. Yeah, I think for him, actually, probably him and Firmino were probably the two who suffered the most from no fans last season. Mane actually went to see a psychologist last season because of, of how you know far removed his form was from when he's at his best. And, you know, when that's happening, the, the, you know, he, he knows it and he's, he's thinking, you know, quite a lot about it. So um, I think the fans will basically give him a massive lift. He'll puff his chest out and in his lungs and he'll he'll be flying because I thought that was noticeable against Crystal Palace actually Mane in particular he scored didn't he and um, yeah I think the fans back will probably massively benefit him and, and Firmino definitely right what about scores then Tolly what are you saying I think Burnley will score I think they always score at Anfield but I think you know you look at the atmosphere you look at the fact that players have been waiting so long to play in front of a packed Anfield as Gorsley said you know, the likes of Mane kind of getting towards you know the peak form having been uh, had a bit of a rest in the summer so I think 3-1 yeah I, I think 3-1 as well actually I think Burnley make it tough in certain areas of the game certain parts of it but I just think everything's kind of accumulating for Liverpool and, and there's a bit of a snowball effect and I think that'll that'll lend itself towards them flying off the blocks and not just for tomorrow I think for the next few weeks as well it, they will really kind of you know come flying off the traps and uh, 3-1 I'm going with as well someone rattling a cage away to our right hopefully Liverpool can rattle Burnley's at Anfield there we go there we go yeah we'll uh, have to see how it does play out the guy with the leaf blower might also be coming around to just move us on but that's it for this edition of the Blood Red podcast from myself Guy Clark Ian Doyle and Paul Gorse thanks for joining us that's all for now you've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo